Advancements in technology, along with consumer preferences, are big drivers of change in our industry. But another driver of change are regulations. Now, whether you agree with regulations that impact the absorbent hygiene market or not, it is important for us in the industry to understand them and what they mean for the products we help produce so that we know how to comply with them. So how can you stay up to date on the latest regulations impacting our industry? Luckily, Bostic is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the absorbent hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible products to meet the needs of your customers. On today's episode, we're speaking with Luminita Barbu, Regulatory Affairs Director at Idana, which is one of the leading global associations and voices of the non-wovens industry. Luminita has been in her role at Idana for the last three years, and before that, she joined with a very strong regulatory background dealing with highly regulated products such as medical devices, cosmetics, food and food supplements, and also chemicals. So she knows how to interpret new regulations and help companies work within those regulations to succeed. Now, Luminita will be sharing insights specifically about the current product regulatory environment in the European Union, since that is the focus of Idana. But given that the EU is often on the leading edge of product and safety regulations, this topic will be useful for those doing business outside of the EU so they can know what regulatory changes could be coming in the future for the regions they operate in. I should also note that this conversation was recorded earlier this year, and since we recorded, the General Product Safety Regulation, or GPSR, was formally published by the European Commission on May 23rd, and it will replace the General Product Safety Directive and the Food Imitating Product Directive starting December 13th, 2024. Joining me today to discuss consumer product safety is Luminita Barbu. Luminita, welcome to the show. Yes, hello, and thank you for having me. We're happy to have you. Now, as we do with all of our guests, we'd like to have them introduce themselves. So I will ask you, can you please introduce yourself, your role, and your background in the non-wobins and hygiene industry? My name is Luminita Barbu. I am the Regulatory Affairs Director at Edana, which is the international association serving non-wobins and related industries. And indeed, hygiene is one of the many applications of non-wovens alongside filtration, medical, construction, automotive. Therefore, yeah, from a regulatory point of view, it's very broad. I joined Adana three years ago, coming from a totally different industry, but with a strong regulatory background, dealing with highly regulated products such as medical and in vitro diagnostic medical devices, cosmetics, food and food supplements, but also chemical legislation. Great. And you're relatively new to the industry. So I'm curious, having been in the, the hygiene and non-wovens industry for the last few years, what do you like most about working in this industry? There is another dynamic, that's for sure. Meaning that uh, the level of engagement is completely different than in my previous jobs. In my current position, pure regulatory work is only one small part of my job. Most of the work uh, consists in seeking consensus because I'm uh, managing working groups, 
drafting position statements, uh, contribution to public consultation, creating guidance documents, participating in regulators' meetings. All those make the job extremely interesting. To conclude, there is no comparison with uh, anything I've done previously. It sounds like you say very busy then. Oh, yes. <laughs> so as I mentioned, we're here to talk about uh, consumer product safety today. And anyone who's been in the industry for the last several years would know that we see a lot of consumers who aren't necessarily happy about product transparency and ingredients when it comes to absorbent hygiene products. We've seen articles in places like France or Korea or India talking about the safety and ingredients of hygiene products. And as you know, we also see regulations or rules surrounding certain products like toys or, or baby products that are related to our industry. So I'm curious, what would your response be to consumers or consumer groups that say that absorbent hygiene products are not regulated enough? Let's take them one by one. It is a fact that consumers are increasingly interested to learn more about the products they use on a daily basis, leading to more information requests. And this is good. It's a responsible behavior. Regarding absorbent hygiene products, uh, responsible manufacturers understood the need for more transparency and um, information about the product composition is available on the packaging and online. At the industry association level, ADALA members have put together a comprehensive list of materials and constituents uh, in uh, absorbent hygiene products, baby diapers, uh, adult incontinence products, menstrual products. This initiative uh, goes beyond all the regulatory requirements and the list can be consulted on the DANA website. Now, I have a few comments about articles in various media outlets or the internet. I would differentiate between honest and uh, informative versus half-trust and sensationalist, sometimes biased reports where science-based evidence is disregarded. Creating panic will definitely will not help. We are surrounded by chemicals. We are made of chemicals. We cannot live without chemicals. I remember the title of an article that I recently read on the European Euro, uh, Environment Agency website saying that we need to find ways to live healthy in a chemical world. And this is true. As a regulatory professional, I would say that the current EU chemicals legislative landscape targeting protection of human and environmental health already limits the use of chemicals proved to be harmful. And also this framework already provides one of the most advanced regulatory system worldwide. It is constantly subject to improvement by scientific progress as well as ever-increasing public awareness. At the industry association level, ADANA members have developed a voluntary standard, the stewardship program for absorbent hygiene products, which is the further step of demonstrating that manufacturers increase the already high level of consumer protection by a proper management of possibly hazardous substances that might be present in this product. The third part of your question was about whether or not absorbent hygiene products are regulated enough. This requires separate discussion, and maybe we will have the chance to further elaborate on that later. As a rule, a regulatory measure is initiated when a risk 
cannot be controlled through other means. Absorbitizing products have a long history of safe usage over decades due to the fact that the industry responsibly takes all the steps to ensure this. The regulatory framework is a complex one with the General Product Safety Directive setting the general framework, the general safety requirements, and the plethora of regulations, directives, national legislation, which contains provision directly or as a proxy applicable to this product category. I can mention here cosmetics product regulation, medical device regulation, biocidal product regulation, packaging and packaging waste. And so on. On top of that, the industry has an established track record of committing to voluntary codes of practice. The one on labeling tampons or the stewardship program have been developed in the sense of Article 3 of the General Product Safety Directive. You know, I hope that helps correcting the wrong assumption that absorbent hygiene products are not regulated just because there is no product specific legislation applicable to these product types. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, obviously, I, I've been in the, the industry for the last six plus years or so. We've seen the common term is substances of interest or chemicals of concern. We've seen seen these conversations happening. These, as you mentioned, some, some articles, some that are science-based, some that are a bit sensationalized, and maybe that's a bit understandable when it comes to products that are close to intimate areas of, of babies and adults alike. But I, you know, I, I guess in, in my maybe biased opinion, you know, we've seen the industry be responsive to these, these articles and to the discussion around regulations, but also see it be, be proactive in, in certain areas. So I think the, the industry is moving in a good direction. And as you said, you know, absorbent hygiene products have been used for, for decades safely. And that, you know, that hasn't changed. So that's certainly important to keep that in mind. Indeed. Now, you recently presented at the Outlook Conference in uh, Malta, and I was able to review your presentation a bit in, in preparation for our conversation. So, and the two things that, that I read in there that were, were new to me were the GPSD and Market Surveillance Regulation 2019-1020. I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the industry who hasn't heard of these. So I'm curious if you can, you can share a little more about both of those regulations, if you will. Yes, absolutely. The Directive on Product Safety, the so-called GPSD, imposes general requirements regarding consumer product safety. In other words, for products or aspects of products for which there are more specific harmonized provision in place, it is those provisions that are applicable. This is uh, usually covered by the market surveillance regulations and sector-specific legislation. Since this setup looks quite fragmented, the Commission looked into ways to improve market surveillance and impose equal obligations on the different market players regardless of whether they are dealing with products that are subject to harmonized or to not non-harmonized rules. And it's the general product safety regulations soon to enter into force that creates a single market surveillance regime that applies to all products. That makes sense. And I'm curious, how does that, I guess with, with all that as background, how is that applicable to absorbent hygiene products? Yeah, 
they, they just explain it would only be applicable for provision of market surveillance regulations, which were not in the general product safety directive. For instance, responsible person, traceability, building technical dossier. All these requirements have been now integrated into the new regulation. Therefore, general product safety regulation is fully applicable to absorbent hygiene products for market surveillance matters. So this will be this will be something that producers and others in the industry will have to adjust to moving forward. Definitely, yes. So with that in mind, with the the general product safety directive and absorbent hygiene products being included in that, I guess will that satisfy consumers? And if not, I guess how can we, or how do you think consumers can be satisfied? Can we build or regain that trust? And is regulation enough? Any regulation responds to a need. And the measures are targeted to responding to that specific need while avoiding side effects. A new regulatory measure is initiated when a risk cannot be controlled through other means. Absorbent hygiene products are safe. They are subject to a complex regulatory framework, as I just uh, described, reinforced by the industry-responsible safeguarding practices. I am going to refer again to this uh, Edana Searship program. It's this conservative standard, uh, voluntary standard that the industry developed to ensure that potentially present trace chemicals in absorbent hygiene products, which might be perceived as safety concerns by consumers, are not exceeding certain limits. A validated uh, and consumer-relevant, while conservative, test method detects and quantifies such chemicals potentially present in this product. We have recently compiled a dossier with key facts around absorbent hygiene products, starting with uh, general information about these products, quality processes for selecting materials, the manufacturing processes, but also how the safety of materials and final products are assessed. Exposure-based risk assessment parameters have been defined that are appropriate for the product use, which will result in relevant risk assessment. With this, industry wants to assure that concerns are taken very seriously and to confirm that absorbent hygiene products continue to be safe for consumers. With all this uh, background, I would say that building trust requires more communication and dialogue. Yeah, I would agree. I think, yeah, as you said, communication and dialogue is is the key there. You know, I think consumers these days, they they just want companies to be as open as possible. And we had a guest on the podcast relatively recently, uh, Amrita Seigel, who said that consumers can be flexible as long as you're open and communicative with them. If you're open with them about what you're doing, the processes you're undertaking, even if you're not where they want to be or where they want you to be, if you're open about the journey that you're on, they'll be a lot more trusting of you. I definitely think the industry can take some some notes from that and, and continue to press forward. And so I completely agree that the communication and dialogue side of that is incredibly important for us. Now, if there are consumers out there that say that the Adana Stewardship Program or even absorbent hygiene products being included in the GPSD are not enough. So if consumers want even more regulation, which I think, as you said, it, it, we don't believe is necessary. But if consumers push for that, 
I guess in your opinion, what does that look like? Yeah, I'll start by by reminding that, you know, the GPSD, so the General Product Safety Directive is being reviewed. And the impact assessment of the existing directive mentions that this piece of legislation has shown to be a successful instrument in ensuring a high level of consumer protection. The revision of the directive, which will be in the form of a regulation, which will be directly applied in all member states, comes with substantial changes uh, that will even more strengthen the product safety regulatory framework. It is about the fact that it preserves its role as a safety net for consumers, bring legislation in line with innovation, come with new uh, procedural requirements for product recourse, take the notification obligations, and enhance the rights of uh, authorities to impose sanctions. I think all these uh, changes will demonstrate that there is no need for further regulation. And as a principle, safety is achieved with a synergy of mandatory legislation and voluntary standards. And it is how existing setup works and how it's going to be in the future. The Commission, for instance, will continue to actively promote safety requirements to be met by European standards. And here the industry can play a crucial role in sharing its expertise and best practices. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think I like that that discussion or the your point around the teamwork, if you will, of regulation and voluntary action. Obviously, that's certainly true when it comes to product safety. We we would all hope that it industries will and not not speaking about the hygiene industry specifically here, but just industries in general will will do everything they can to be as safe as possible. And I will say most do, but in in some cases, obviously, regulations are required, but I also think that's very applicable in hygiene on the side of sustainability as well. And, I'm, I, you know, we know Adana is working a lot on sustainability and, and driving the industry forward around sustainability. But, yeah, I, th- I think with many people I talk to in the industry, the, the combination of regulations and voluntary advancement is, is going to be a big driver of sustainability moving forward. So it's interesting to hear that point, obviously, around consumer product safety as well. So with those points on regulation in mind, I guess, who do you think should be driving or or setting those legislations? In the EU, there are clear rules on who has the right of legislative initiative, what is the role of various stakeholders. A new regulation is very rare. Most of the time we see regulatory initiatives building on the existing legislation. Examples here could be restrictions for hazardous chemicals, which are dealt with via REACH, adding or creating safety requirements via standards where the regulatory framework already exists. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, in all these regulations, you know, the end responsibility for placing a safe product into the market or selling a safe product into the market ultimately belongs to the article producer or article manufacturer. But there's obviously a trickle-down effect to the suppliers and, and the whole value chain of the of absorbent hygiene products. Obviously, companies like us at Bostic need to be taking an important role in this, don't, don't you think? Definitely. First of all, the GPSD imposes a general obligation on producers that 
only safe products are put on the market. The consequences of placing an unsafe product on the market falls under liability directive where such an unsafe product causes personal injury or damage. And I like very much your comment about the shared responsibilities within the supply chain in placing safe products on the market. Because product safety could arise anywhere along the supply chain. It can be in the product design, storage, transfer, packaging. Materials for the manufacturer of AHP must be rigorously selected from a technical, quality, regulatory point of view, but also information on chemical substances. And the supplier is one of the most important players in supply chain management. Therefore, mutual uh, respect and understanding with open information sharing the key. Yeah, I'll come back to sustainability for a minute, but it it really does take all of the industry players, as you said, you know, the whole value chain working together towards these kind of shared goals that ultimately benefit, you know, all of us in the industry. The partnerships and the collaborations are, are vital for us to continue to drive the industry forward when it comes to both product safety and, as I mentioned, sustainability. And you've touched on this a little bit already. And I think I mentioned it as well, but I guess what is organizations like Idana or other industry organizations' roles in this process? Idana is a trade association, and our role is uh, to promote best practices, facilitate dialogue, dialogue on critical topics such as safety, sustainability, you mentioned, fair trade. We are key actors on consultations to have balance. Uh, regulation and standards. Edana supports uh, and drives uh, its members' activities in the area of self-regulations, just mentioned, including developing uh, of test methods. So in terms of self-regulation, like you just mentioned, I guess, how do you think consumers would or will react to an industry regulating itself? And ultimately, will consumers still trust an industry that is self-regulating? Consumers need to be reassured on the safety of the product they use. They need an efficient legislative framework which avoids unsafe products be placed on the market and policy decisions that improve their life. Self-regulations play an important role in addressing consumer issues and enhance their confidence by helping to ensure product quality and good practices. Yeah. And I think, I guess, I don't know, as a consumer, I guess if I saw an industry regulating itself, it would raise some flags. But ultimately, I think the benefit of an industry being proactive as opposed to needing to be regulated by, you know, legislative bodies or governments ultimately is is a trust builder. So I think it's incredibly important. Now, you, you mentioned the Adana Stewardship Program and how that's that's helping drive, you know, and push val- voluntary commitments and agreements. I'm curious, I guess, to the industry and to the consumer body at large, what are the benefits of voluntary commitments and agreements like, like that? You know, uh, product safety codes of good practice enforcing the sector concerned can be used to demonstrate compliance with general product safety requirements when formal standards or rules do not exist. This is according to the General Product Safety Directive. And the principle remains the same 
in the general product safety regulation. Codes of practice are mentioned as an element to be taken into account for assessing the safety of product. It is important to highlight that industry code of conduct or code of practice, these voluntary standards remain indeed voluntary. They cannot substitute mandatory rules. However, they complement a legislative framework. And let's take the example of the Adana Stewardship Program for Absorbent Nigerian Products. According to the law, this is a product safety code of practice in the sense of Article 3 of General Product Safety Directive. The implementation of these voluntary industry standards represents a helpful addition to current regulatory framework, therefore, in setting guidance values for certain trace chemicals in absorbent hygiene products, this way further enhancing consumer protection. The advantage of a voluntary industry standard lies in the fact that it can be adopted and implemented far quicker than legislation, where we know that implementation often takes many years. Furthermore, it is a considerably more flexible process that can evolve and adapt to new science and at any time. Therefore, flexibility, innovation, competitiveness, fit for purpose are few of the advantages of having a voluntary standard. I would not speak about these advantages, but rather focus on what could make such a standard an effective tool. Namely, the strength of the commitment made by participants, the industry coverage, the extent to which participants adhere to the commitment. Yeah, and the, I think the thing that stuck out to me that I hadn't really thought about is is how a a volunteer program like that, like you said, can evolve. It can, you know, adjust quickly to new information, to changes in the market. And I think, as you said, sometimes regulations can't do that. Regulations are great, but I'm, I think many of us would know sometimes government organizations and bodies don't always work super quickly. So having something like like this, you know, be able to evolve and change with the market and with the times really, like you said, is vital. And it it really helps with that that speed of implementation. And I also just think the benefit of, you know, sometimes laws, uh, we talked about this with a previous guest, laws just aren't always super clear. They can be vague at times. And so it's up to companies to figure that out on their own. And so when you have, you know, voluntary commitments like this, it seems, at least in, in this particular case for the Adana Stewardship Program, it comes with more specific guidance. And I think that that that's super helpful for companies in the industry to kind of adjust and get in line with the voluntary commitments and then be able to meet them. Absolutely. This way we enhance consumer protection. So you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you came from another industry. And so I'm curious, is there anything that our industry, the, the non-wovens and hygiene industry, can learn from other industry sectors that are dealing with either voluntary commitments and or regulations around product safety. Do you have any industry in mind? Specific industry in mind? Yeah, you I well you specifically mentioned food and cosmetics. So I'm curious maybe is there anything we can learn from those two specific industries? 
All right, absolutely. These are very good examples as they are covered by um, a strong legal framework, including both horizontal laws and product-specific legislation. And also cosmetics legislation is stringent. It can take a significant amount of time to regulate a specific ingredient. For this reason, self-regulation can be a faster uh, solution if a problem is identified um, concerning a specific ingredient. And there are many examples where the cosmetics industry has self-regulated problematic ingredients, leading to discontinuation of their use in cosmetic products. Food. This is a, always a very sensitive topic, not only when it comes to food safety concerns due to incidents in many countries, uh, thereby reducing consumer trust in food safety, but also when it comes to sustainability. And um, in this respect, the European Commission uh, facilitated um, the development of an EU code of conduct on responsible food business uh, and marketing practices to address environmental, health, and social challenges in the food system. The code is now one of the first deliverable of the farm to fork strategy of the Commission and an integral part of its action plan. Such examples, the one in food, uh, the one on cosmetics, the stewardship program, the Dana stewardship program for absorbent hygiene products, such examples showcase industry uh, leadership through initiatives going beyond regulatory framework to improve health and safety, thus building consumer trust. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's key. We talked about the communication side of things, but if an industry can be proactive and going beyond what regulations are, are already in place, like you said, that's just so huge in, in building trust and keeping the overall trust and commitment to the industry by consumers you know, high. I think that that's, that's a great learning. The more proactive you can be beyond just meeting the, I guess you can call it the bare minimum, that regulations would offer, the better off the industry will be. And, and like you said, ultimately, the more trust consumers are going to have in the industry. Basically, to reassure consumers that the product are safe, yes. Yeah. Now, I will wrap by, I guess, giving you a bit of a challenge, maybe. I'm, I'm curious in, in maybe one word or two words to, to end the interview, how would you qualify the regulatory landscape for hygiene products in the coming years? It would be more than one word. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> On one side, um, prioritizing health and uh, sustainability, consumers will further scrutinize the products and likely encourage government interventions. On their side, regulators will accelerate and uh, modernize existing legislation for a more sustainable chemical market while continue to provide a high level of protection for the health of the citizens. And that certain aging products will follow the trend. Great. I think that's a that's a great conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> so Lumidita, thank you so much for joining the, the podcast and for sharing with us your knowledge and expertise around consumer product safety as it relates to non-wovens and in, in our example, specifically hygiene products. 
that, yeah, I just want to thank you and, and share my appreciation for you joining the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity for and for the great job. <laughs> thank you. So there you have it. You now have a nice overview of the current consumer product safety landscape in the European Union and how to operate within the new frameworks that are being established related to the absorbent hygiene industry. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Liz Bruner and Paul Andrews at Bostic and Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Post-production for Attached to Hygiene is done by Podcast Boutique. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our guest today, Luminita Barbie. You can connect with Luminita on LinkedIn and stay up to date on all the latest news and announcements from Idana on their website at idana.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.